The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So we have some time again for conversation, questions, discussion, anything you're noticing. And if you don't have anything, I've got some things, but I wanted to, I wanted to let, let you have a shot at it first. Um, so do use the mics if you, if you want to. Welcome. I don't think I could quote what you said earlier, uh, but it was something about the way um, aversion can be behind, I don't know if it was a mental formation or some sort of reaction. Um, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about sort of subtle subtle levels of aversion or just how aversion might appear. Yeah. Um, uh, aversion is a flavor of mind that is very familiar <laughs> to me. Um, I would say that roughly um, each of us has a particular kind of habitual flavor of uh, greed, aversion, or delusion. At least this is the teaching in, in Buddhist psychology that we each orient around a particular flavor in our personality. And I would say that I land pretty squarely in the aversive camp. You know, it's like uh, when I first... Um, so here's an example of kind of a subtle form. And um, uh, when I first started exploring this choiceless awareness practice or... Um, we sometimes call it choiceless awareness, but as I will demonstrate in just a moment, it was pretty clear it wasn't really choiceless. When my teacher first sat with me and said, I want you to let go of directing the attention and just what, what's obvious in this moment and the next moment and the next moment and the next moment. And when I, I did that, um, after about five minutes or so, he asked me to describe what I noticed. And I said, well... Every single thing that my attention landed on was unpleasant. And I know that it's not that everything is unpleasant, but that's what the mind did with that. And that speaks to a subtle level of essentially orienting to unpleasant that's motivated by a subtle level of expecting unpleasant. It's a subtle kind of aversion, essentially. And... Um, that was a very, it was eye-opening to me to recognize that at a very subtle level, my habit was to go into a situation and look for unpleasant things in order to get rid of them. Look for unpleasant things in order to control my experience. So uh, that's, a, that's a very subtle form of, of aversion that just kind of was at work in my system. Um, so from the subtle to the obvious, I mean, the obvious forms of aversion are, of course, things like rage or hatred or anger. Um, slightly subtler forms might be something like dislike, uh, you know, just like, yeah, kind of like, I, I, can, 
I can be with that, but I don't like it. Um, that can sometimes get confused with the experience of unpleasant. The, the distinction between unpleasant and not liking can sometimes get confused. It's like we automatically assume that if something is unpleasant, we won't like it, and we think they're kind of the same thing. And, but dislike is a, it's just a, it's a subtle form of aversion, and unpleasant can be there without any flavor of liking or not liking. It's just an unpleasant experience. Um, so, so that's a subtle flavor of aversion is the disliking. Another subtle flavor of aversion that I've, I've seen in the past little while, or begun to articulate it in the past little while, is a flavor of tolerating something that's unpleasant. It's kind of like, yeah, I can hang out with that, you know, but there's just this little bit of pressure that creates a a kind of world in which I can be with that. It's, it's kind of a lock-in state. A tolerating something is like locking into it. It's like, okay, if I lock into it like this, I can be with that. And that's motivated by a kind of aversion. I see this happening sometimes around physical pain. So um, in this last sitting, I was noticing quite a bit of physical unpleasantness in the back, and I was feeling that kind of intolerance. It kind of locks the mind into a space, and it creates the state where the pain feels steady. That's like it, it creates the conditions for the pain to just be one kind of flat state. It's like, okay, I can tolerate that. I can tolerate that level of pain. So it's a kind of an aversion that locks that in. And then when I notice that kind of tolerating. The tolerating went away and the, the pain level fluctuated much more wildly. And I could see the, what the mind was thinking is that it's like it locks it down so it doesn't feel those spikes. Um, and, and yet what also happens when it locks it down so it doesn't feel those spikes, it also doesn't get the relief when it, when it goes away, you know, because it, it, it really fluctuates. The pain level really kind of came and went a lot, and there was a lot of time it wasn't there, and then it would shoot up, and then it would go down. And when the, the locking in, that locking in quality of aversion, that tolerating quality was there, it was just like holding the pain at a, at a steady level. So that's another subtle form of aversion that I've experienced. Um, also another kind of aversion that can happen with meditation um, you know, as we as we practice and start to explore um, being with experience, we get we 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 may begin to land in this allowing space where we see that um, challenging or difficult, what might usually can be considered a challenging or difficult state, doesn't feel so challenging or difficult anymore because the mind is much more at ease with things. So there's this unpleasantness that kind of comes and goes, but the mind isn't reacting to it. And that state of that experience can be uh, pleasant. And then we can start, when we experience unpleasant things, we can think, okay, I know how to be with this. I'm going to be mindful of this in order that it's not so unpleasant anymore. And that's a, that's a kind of subtle form of, of aversion as well. It's like paying attention to it in order to make it less unpleasant. 
Um, now the paying attention to it in that way does tend to make it less unpleasant, but it's the in order to that contains that aversion. So there's just that, that little bit of, you know, doing something for a purpose or for that, that aversive in order to control. I think a lot of aversion, at least in my experience, a lot of the aversion comes around wanting to control experience. Um, and when the mind feels like it's in control, it feels like uh, it's like that. That's what it, that's at least that's what this this mind in the aversive place likes to feel like it's in control. And it's like, ha, huh, okay, I can I can deal with this. I know how to deal with this. And so the mind can kind of relax in that control. But that control itself is a manifestation of that wanting to control at least for me, that wanting to control is a manifestation of aversion. I can well see that wanting to control would also be a manifestation of desire at times. If I can just control this experience, then I can get those pleasant things that I want. But in my own practice, in my own experience, I see that control piece is very connected to aversion. Um, But that's probably just because that's the kind of orientation of my mind. So um, those are a few thoughts. Is there any, anything else that that has triggered for you to ask about or something more um, that you'd like to explore in what I said? I think that's good for now. I can't think off the top of my head of something else. Okay, yeah. great, thanks. behind you. This mindfulness of mind, I'm not so uh, worse with it. So can you, I think you already probably did, but can you give me or us some exercise, something simple that next week I can kind of focus on this mindfulness of mind? Um, so that kind of gets to the piece that I was... You know, had to share is like well how do you take this into your life you know what what, uh, um, the main tool so you can you can use this kind of meditation practice you know to explore this relax recognize the awareness and receive so in meditation we can be exploring this. If, if you are interested in this form, you can do this in your meditation practice. Um, but it also is something that we can um, explore in the middle of activity. As I said, that you know, we, we practice awareness while walking, we practice awareness while eating, we practice awareness while living. And so um, practicing awareness while living, at least in my uh, experience, um, it takes a really light touch <laughs> uh, because if we try to do too much or try to have too many um, exercises, for instance, we, we often may find that we let it go because there's so much, there's so much that we have to do in our lives. And so the, the, I think one of the benefits of this style of practice is that it can begin to um, just infuse our our um, our life and it's it's not so much that we have to like keep really doing it or 
it's like if we're, if we're trying to pick up the backpack of awareness and carry it around with us, often we, we, we let it go because that idea of doing mindfulness kind of runs counter to the other doings that we have to do. And so the, the main tool that I use in my daily life and the one that I'll suggest for you as, a, as an exploration is recognizing the moment when mindfulness returns, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Mindfulness comes back. Mindfulness arises like it does in the sitting practice. I'm back. Awareness is back. In that moment, that moment of mindfulness returning, it didn't take any effort for that mindfulness. It just happened. It was a gift. And yet often with those little gifts of mindfulness, those little gifts of becoming aware, um, we, our habit with those moments is that we become aware of something like we're driving down the freeway and we're kind of lost in thought and somebody comes up really fast next to us and cuts in in front of us and suddenly we're aware. You know, it's like we, we're not lost in thought anymore. We're right there. But we don't recognize the mindfulness there. We instead are getting angry about the person who's going fast and cutting us off. So we miss the moment of awareness because we've jumped on the experience and started thinking about it or doing something with it. And so those moments of mindfulness returning happen a lot in our day. And if we can begin to attune ourselves or get curious about recognizing that moment, those moments when mindfulness returns, that that single practice is my main daily life practice at this point. And each of those moments, each time one of those moments arises, and, and they happen like, it's stunning actually. If, you, if you're just curious about that, let yourself land and recognize, oh, awareness is back. And you don't have to do much with that. It's just like, oh, I'm here. What, what's obvious? It's really back to just what's obvious. And then, you know, just how long does that wave of mindfulness last in that moment. Each time a moment of mindfulness arises, it's got a kind of momentum. It's like that scooter. It's like, the, you know, we've arisen on that scooter and it's going and it's got its own momentum. And so it's kind of like you, you recognize the mindfulness that has arisen and you ride that wave of, of awareness for however long it lasts and just receive whatever is obvious in that time. You know, often these moments will arise um, around some kind of suffering, uh, but often they also arise in really neutral situations. You're crossing a street and suddenly it's like, oh, I know that I'm crossing the street. Or you're reaching for a glass and suddenly it's like you're aware of that. So it's, it, can, it can be neutral experience, it can be beautiful experience. Sometimes we can wake up while we're looking at a beautiful tree and suddenly it's like, wow, here I am, and, and really have that sense of appreciation. You know, what's obvious in that moment is appreciation, delight, and gratitude. So just waking up in those moments and um, seeing what's there. Uh, in those times that suffering is what's there, uh, I would encourage a kind of a little bit of a... Uh, A framing of it 
You know, as you notice, you're waking up into suffering. Sometimes it can be, why do I want to be here for this? <laughs> but if, if you can appreciate that the mindfulness has returned in that, uh, to, with that suffering, you know, just appreciate that the suffering has kind of woken you up. That's, that's, it's, it's, a, it's a main place that mindfulness returns for me at this point. It's like if there's suffering, mindfulness is there. And I am so grateful for that because when mindfulness can be there with that suffering, I'm much less likely to jump on the bandwagon of aversion and start you know, being frustrated or annoyed or hating things. So, um, so that moment of mindfulness returning and what's obvious in that moment, just that, that can be a very simple practice that, you know, it doesn't take a lot of doing. It's just waking up. It does take a little bit of doing because we often do jump on those, when that happens, that mindfulness returns, we often have that habit of getting hooked to whatever it is and thinking about it. So it does take a little bit of effort to kind of land and recognize, oh yeah, mindfulness is back. But if we it's but that's not a lot of effort actually. It's it's just a little bit of like just connect. So that's one piece that that uh that is useful. And then another thing that um you could explore is maybe at certain times in the day um when you have space in your day where you, you just you know, you just have to do a chore or something. Um, explore what it might mean to um, practice that relax, receive, allow more steadily during that chore. So like doing the dishes, you know, relax. Find, find a pace, find a pace of movement of the activity that lets you relax, so find, find, again, like with the walking, we find a pace that feels comfortable. So washing the dishes, recognize, and, and you can re- give yourself reminders here, you know, put a big sign by your sink, you know, mindful or something, you know, just to help you remember. Helping, remembering is, a, is probably the hardest part of this whole thing. Um, so put a sign there or something that helps you remember. And then use that time to just have this relax and receive. It's like you don't have to direct your attention to anything in particular while you're washing the dishes. I mean, you're, we often might have the idea that washing dishes means that I'm aware of the sensations of washing dishes. But this relax and receive is much more just what's obvious. I mean, you might arrive at the sink and you know, there is the doing of the, you know, relax and just be in that doing. But it may be that the conditions are, um, you're needing to actually reflect on uh, what you need to do tomorrow. And so, you know, that can be, you know, okay, planning, planning for tomorrow. There's a piece of what's happening. So it's, it's relax and receive. We don't have to have an idea that, being mindful while doing a task means anything about what we are aware of. So it may be that we receive the physical sensations of washing dishes or it may be that we receive the emotions of something that's happened to us earlier in the day or it may be we're receiving um, the excitement of something we're going to be doing later. You know, just what's there? Maybe the thoughts go through. So 
that same practice of relax. And I tried to, over the day, keep repeating this, uh, almost a mantra, relax, receive, allow, you know, to just remind yourself of that during that time. So I hope that's uh, helpful. Any other? Yeah, and could you pass the mic over? So, um, if I understand correctly, when you um, explain or describe, you know, returning to mindful awareness um, after being lost, for example, this is an opportunity to see the impermanent nature of our mindful awareness. Indeed it is. <laughs> so You're question, seeing mindfulness return? Yes. And that it has been gone. So and yes, you're seeing gone. the impermanence of the mindfulness itself. Yes. Yeah. Is there any way to dive deeper into it and see the impermanent nature of the awareness itself? Because that, yes, that happen, it can happen. Um, um, it's not something... What I suggest is that... Um, the, the subtler forms of understanding, the subtler seeings, and that's a pretty subtle kind of seeing, um, begin to be revealed the more continuous the mindfulness gets. And so your work is simply to keep, like, keep that momentum going and be curious about what you're noticing, receiving what you're noticing, because that that experience, the, the, the sense of understanding, basically consciousness coming and going, um, um, is a pretty subtle experience and is also something that we don't know what we're looking for. Yeah. You know, we can't, we can't know in advance, that's where I'm going to find it or that's how I'm going to find it. And so we really have to be receptive to be available for it. And what I, I often find too is the, the recognition you pointed to the moment of coming back as a place of seeing, you know, the, the mindfulness arising. You know, it's been lost, the mindfulness is arising. We can also be curious about the other side, essentially. It's like we're present and we can also start to see where the mind begins to weaken and lose touch with awareness, lose touch with the mindfulness. Um, and uh, that's, it's, it's, a, it's a little more challenging to do that. But um, uh, so that's not, not noticing the disappearance of consciousness, but the disappearance of the mindfulness. We can, we can be curious about it. And, and sometimes the place where that starts to happen is when the attention shifts from one thing to another. You know, that, that we, we kind of are paying attention to something. We're familiar with something. You know, it's like we're, we're, we're attending to a certain level of experience and mindfulness is pretty comfortable knowing this kind of experience. And then something happens and the attention shifts to something else. But some part of our mind is thinking we're still paying attention to this. And so we don't really notice that that shift has happened. So as we begin the seeing, looking, hearing, listening, that getting familiar with that shift can begin to point you to the, mo- point you to the moment where the, um, the mindfulness begins to move to another experience. And often in that shift, if we're not aware of that shift, that's where mindfulness will leave. 
Um, so we can start to get curious about those moments where the mind, mindfulness begins to pick up on another experience. What I, I find when the mindfulness gets lost often, especially as the momentum of mindfulness builds and there's more stability of mindfulness, uh, that the, the mind... Uh, the mind wandering is often, the, often what happens then is not, the mind isn't wandering because it's like charging out to think about something. It's more that it just kind of slips out. And um, often it slips out because the mindfulness has kind of gotten interested in something that we don't recognize. We're not familiar with it. And so over and over again, at, at certain points in my practice, when the mindfulness gets more stable and then I start noticing the mind wandering, I get really curious about that. I don't try to hold the mind there. I don't try to say, stay present. I get curious, can I see where it's slipping out? Can I watch it let go of whatever it is it's paying attention to? So at one point, I'll, I'll describe the way this worked. Um, I was At this point, I was paying attention to a particular object, so I was noticing the breath, and I began noticing that the mind wandered. And um, I, I could feel at some point, I could kind of feel that attention shift. And I could feel that pull away from the breath. And we can feel that pull away in a receptive awareness, too. It's just a shift of attention. We begin to get familiar with that, the attention shifting. And so I was noticing the breath and then feeling the attention kind of pull. And what I did for a long time was like, oh, the, the attention's losing touch with the breath. Come back to the breath. Oh, the attention's losing touch with the breath. Come back to the breath. And at some point I thought, oh, the attention's losing touch with the breath. I'm mindful of that. Let's see what it's doing. Watch that. And what the experience was, was that the mind kind of opened into a new terrain, something I was completely unfamiliar with, and it stayed present. It was also very, um, it's like, wow, I don't know what this is. <laughs> so there's a little bit of dis- un- discomfort with it. But again, the receptive awareness gives us that curiosity about new or unfamiliar experience. And very often, that's where the mindfulness slips. So when we start to, when the mindfulness gets more continuous and we start to see the mindfulness you know, the mind wandering more, just get curious about it. And don't try to hold your mind still, but see if you can be curious about where it slips. And there have been times where it's like, I would be like, there's one time in Burma I was sitting, and it's like, wow. It was so present, the mind was so present. And then suddenly it was like, there was this like altered universe, and I was thinking, and it's like, what, you know? And it happened just like that. And it's like, wow, what's going on? What, it, what it, am I missing? So often in those moments, or I'd say pretty much every time the mind wanders, there's something that we're not seeing. And often it's, you know, just a, it's a thought or it's a, a, a reaction. But as the mindfulness gets stronger, it's often a subtle um, arising that's missed. And, and so it's, it's just kind of, okay, the mind isn't quite familiar with that. And so over and over again, you might have to to watch that. And that's what I had to do with that experience in Burma. It's like it happened over and over again, over and over again. It's like, oh, wow, missed it again. Okay, and not getting frustrated. It's like, oh, let's just keep trying. Wow, here's another opportunity. Oh, mind wandered. Oh, missed it again. Okay, keep trying. So if there can be a curiosity too is is a good exploration of that.
That's a great question. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's really, really helpful. <laughs> Do you have something? Um, so when, when, the, when mindfulness returns, you say uh, relax, res, receive, and allow. Does that uh, the receive is it the um, what what what's happening when the, after the mindfulness returns, or includes or does it include the memory? It may include the memory, before. you know. Often when the mind has wandered like that, you know, it's constructed something, right? It's constructed mm-hmm. a landscape. It, it may, it, and, and in the mindfulness returning, it's like it's arising in that space of that memory. So it may include the memory. Uh, it may include more the emotional state that that memory generated. Okay. Um, so it's like, what's here? It's, it's the, the, the closer we can get to seeing the mindfulness return, the closer we can get, it's like, it's like the birth of a universe, you know? It's like, yeah. here I am, and this is where I am now. So knowing that, it's, it's mm-hmm. sometimes the, the uh, reflection might be like already aware of and, and already known, it's like as that mindfulness returns, it's already aware of something, and so it's already aware, and something is already known. Okay. And so kind of just curiosity of what, it, what it's arising into, what's, what's there so, already. So maybe, maybe includes a little bit investigation of what led to, led to the mind state. Well, I wouldn't try to do that so much. That investigation, you know, investigation in this practice is really kind of more than just meeting. Being with what's here, what's here, what's here, what's here. We think of investigation as putting things together and figuring things out. In I'm thinking about what. I'm thinking kind of about cause, what yeah, happened cause, and what yeah, caused. What led to but it, the, yeah. the investigation in this practice, in Dharma practices, is more about the meeting of experience. The wisdom and the learning happens. The, the putting the pieces together, it's like wisdom does that for you. And, and, you know, if you're just available moment to moment, the mind is going to understand, oh, that led to that. Oh, that's creating that. And so we don't have to think about it. We don't have to try to do that piece. Uh, And that's just a piece I just barely touched into at the end of just the learning that happens is, uh, it's kind of the responsibility of our system to do the learning. Like you think about a baby, you know, a baby doesn't have all kinds of information or thoughts of how to put things together, but they're a learning machine. They're absorbing experience and understanding. That understanding is putting itself together. And we have that capacity. When we're really just present, that understanding will put itself together. And we need to stop.